Blog Talk Radio. This program has been made possible by Weatherby Asset Management. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guest. Weatherby Asset Management is dedicated to providing exceptional wealth management services by forming partnerships built on trust, understanding, and thoughtful advice. For more than 20 years, they've been offering objective perspective, personalized planning, and sophisticated investment management to individual investors and families, as well as pension plans, foundations, and endowments. Contact them at www.weatherby.com. Weatherby Asset Management, located in San Francisco and New York City. Welcome to this edition of Wealth Psychology at Sylvia Global Media. We are really excited about today's show. We're going to be exploring how to most empower yourself as you're going and traveling, luxury vacations, with your family, with your lover, with your partner, whoever it might be, so that you can really maximize your trip and uh, have the best way of interfacing with somebody so that your identity is really solid, so that you come across as somebody who's empowered and not necessarily entitled. And we have an amazing, amazing guest with us. I'm so excited she chose to come and join us. Her name is Holly Steele, and she is the author of the new book, How to Get the Most of Your Concierge from A to Z. And she's also a trainer, and she supports people, my gosh, with so many years of experience, I can't wait to hear about her background, in terms of how to have the best service professional uh, way of approaching your clientele, your customers, whoever it might be. Uh, so, Holly, welcome to the show. We're going to find out a little bit about you first and foremost before we dive into your new book. Okay, great. Thanks, Emily. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's terrific. So tell us how, you know, you obviously come at a concierge uh, background from a direct experience. Tell us a little bit about your background and why you wrote this book. Okay, thanks. Well, Years ago, I was the concierge at the Grand Hyatt on Union Square in San Francisco. I had moved to San Francisco in the uh, late 70s, and there weren't any jobs for special educators. So there I was in a brand new place, and I wasn't able to use what I went to college for. So I thought, well, what should I do? So I went and got a job in a hotel. And the most fantastic thing happened. I fell madly, passionately in love with it. I just thought it was the most amazing thing. And I, it was really when concierge were very new in America. There really weren't any concierge in the United States then. I mean, there were a few. But no one knew what one was. And so I got this job at the, uh, the Grand Hyatt. It was called the Hyatt on Union Square then. And what happened was... I was actually working for a tour company, and I was selling tour tickets in the lobby. And so, so what happened was that um, I, I loved it so much that in those days, what we did was we switched it, and it became a concierge. And so this was in, like, 1976, and I stayed at that job. I loved it so much uh, through 1992 when I wrote my first book on uh, how to be a concierge, because I used all my background as a teacher to do that. So that's, that's in a nutshell, my background. So then I left in 1992, and I've been out doing training and speaking and uh, writing ever since. And so I've, what I've done is I've taught businesses from everywhere, from NASCAR to the Bank of America to Audi to Disney, how to think and act like a world-class concierge. 
Oh, okay, so that's my first question for you. So, you know, here on Wealth Psychology at Sylvia Global, we are all about, like, breaking things down, understanding what things are, how to best utilize them in our world um, in the most effective way possible. And so could you explain a little bit about what a world-class concierge is? Okay, fabulous. Well, if you think about a concierge and you think about a concierge in a hotel, really what concierges did to uh, – to change the world. They really changed service in the United States for sure. And it's a very historic, uh, situation where, where people have, uh, associated a concierge with the ultimate in, in serving other people. So people who are creative, people who really think outside the box, people who really have a desire to take care of someone else, to design a memory for someone else, people who really thrive on serving someone else. And so that is, is, is kind of like the model for all kinds of businesses to think about service. People who are really good listeners, people who know the right questions to ask, people who know how to triage, people who can do more than one thing at a time. So all of those sorts of things are thinking like a world-class concierge. So when you say triage, I, I, that's often a medical term. So when, do you mean like when there's a problem solving that needs to happen on the spot when there's a lot of different moving parts? Well, yes, and in, if, if you think of triage, it's really about what do I really need to do first? What's urgent? What can wait? What's absolutely urgent? So when you look at a concierge in a hotel, they're not doing one thing at a time. And they're doing all of these things while they have more things happening and people coming up to them. So they, so they have taken the concept of multitasking to an art form. And so they're on two telephones. They're speaking in several different languages. They're uh, taking care of a variety of things in a lot of different buckets all at the same time. So that's what I mean when I say triage. You have to look and you have to say, okay, well, this person is going to miss their flight if I don't get them the car service right this second. But I can wait to book this tour because I know it's going to be okay, but then i got to do this dinner reservation next. And I have to send a messenger to the theater because that's a sold-out show. So that's, a great, that's a great example of how uh, the thinking in this show works. So you're coming as the expertise of what's the thinking of the concierge, and I'm coming at it from the standpoint of I'm traveling with my family, I've got three kids, and you know one of them just had a bloody nose and another one um, – stubbed its toe, and we have to get going to a major event. And we, you know, so whoever we're thinking of over here in terms of the client is they think that theirs is the most important pertinent thing when they come up to the concierge, and they may not be aware or tracking that the concierge has 18 other families that have just come up to them with all kinds of other requests that they need taken care of. True, and I just want to say to you that that, that particular aspect of it really isn't the guest's job. I think that the guest has a lot of responsibility in terms of the relationship with the concierge. So yes, if you're an understanding person and you understand that someone else might have something to do that isn't just about you. However, in luxury, when you're paying uh, $500, $700, $800 a night to stay in a hotel, Quite frankly, you don't really care if the concierge has a lot of other things to do, nor should you really? I mean, what what you 
want to understand is how are you going to get the best out of that experience in that relationship. Now, if you have a child who just fell and has a bloody nose, okay, you go on the top of the list in the triage, okay? And if you're really a great concierge, you'll have some things in your drawer like stickers or a little red nose or something that you could kind of get them to stop crying and, you know, have the Kleenex or the gauze or whatever that you need right there. So that one would take precedence. But if you have 12 people in front of you, and again, it really depends on the size of your hotel, but in let's say you're at a convention, and so let's say you ordinarily stay at Four Seasons or Ritz-Carlton's, but you're at a convention and you find yourself in another type of a convention hotel. So then those lines are usually fairly long. And so you want to understand, not that they have other things to do, yes, they do, but when is the best time for me to show up? to ask those questions, because if I'm coming at 6 o'clock at night, you can be sure that there's going to be a long line. Oh so maybe gosh, stop at, you know, another time in the day or call them at a different time in the day so it's not early morning or right around the dinner rush. So you just have to be a little smart well, about that. Let's let's take a station identification. We're going to jump into this next topic of how do you get the most, how do you make the best use of a concierge. That was a great tip right there. Be aware of the best timing. We're going to get some more tips from your new book. So thanks so much, Holly Steele, for being with us at Wealth Psychology at Sylvia Global Media. I'm Emily Bouchard, the managing partner of Wealth Legacy Group. Great. Great. So welcome back to Wealth Psychology at Sylvia Global Media. We have as a special guest Holly Steele, the author of How to Make – what is the book? Is it How to Get the Most or How to Make the Most? It's How to Get the Best. How to Get from, the Best out of your concierge. Can you so, show us the book and we're going to yeah. talk about how do we do that? Show you the book. This is it's actually I think of this as a booklet. Okay, so it's it's more of a booklet and – it's only like twelve ninety five, and you can get it at my website. So it's just, it's a little booklet. But what the whole idea came, I had written, this is actually the second textbook that I'd written on the Hotel Concierge. So I, I thought that I wanted it to be like a mirror image. This one's for the concierge, how to be the best concierge. And this one's for the guest, how to get the best from your concierge. Because quite frankly, this is a relationship. This isn't just like one person. This is two or three or a family, and you're having a relationship together. So that's why I created this, so that it would be a mere image and that one could serve the other and vice versa, so that we're in relationship with people. So I'll just tell you a little cute story. What happened was when I wrote this book, I was interviewed by Peter Greenberg, who is the CBS travel editor, and I was on his, his radio show. And so while I'm on hold waiting to go on the radio show, I hear him kind of teeing me up. And he says, well, you know, people don't really understand how to use a concierge. So who better to talk to us about that than the person who teaches concierges how to be concierge? He said, so our next guest, and when he said that, it's like this light bulb just went off. And I went, that's it. The time is now. I need to write this so that it will be a guide for the guest of how to actually interact with the concierge because even after all these years, I think people don't know. So that's a little bit of a setup. And now to answer your your uh, questions with tips and ideas, which are so many things are in this. That's why I did it A to Z. And I also have a special section, which is called, now that's a great question. Which oh, is, 
Okay. Yeah, which is 12 situations, actually, where you would find yourself in as a guest going up to a concierge and the best ways for you to be able to interact with those. So, All right, well, let's, let's start off with that. So, you know, your guests, you have some desire that you want taken care of by a concierge. Uh, what would be one of the, the most common uh, mistakes that people make that could be easily rectified by knowing something from your book? Okay, fabulous. So one of my favorite things, and I'll teach you both the mirror images, okay? So a guest, usually, it's so interesting. What people really want to say isn't what they say. So a guest will walk up to a concierge, even a sophisticated, savvy traveler, walks up to a concierge and says, so, where would you go for dinner? All right. Now, when I'm teaching a concierge, I teach them something that goes like this. I say that there's a neon sign that should, should go, that should go off in your brain that goes, you're not going. So even though a guest says, where would you go? What they're really saying is, where should I go? And what's the best thing for me to do? And what they're really saying, why they say it like, where, where would you go? Is because they're just hoping that they're going to get a personal recommendation that would be right for them. So now the concierge doesn't know very much. Where would you go? Okay, well, I'm not going, so i got to find out about you now. Then the next mistake that someone says, well, is that what kind of a place do you want? We want a nice place. Oh, great. Okay, a nice place. And what kind of food? We want good food. So now we want good food in a nice place, and where would you go? So now we've wasted about three minutes, and we know nothing. So what we need, what we, the concierge, really needs from you is for you, the guest, to help the concierge to help you. So if you walk up to a concierge and you say, that you, okay, what you're looking for is a dinner reservation. So we need to know what your vision is. So if you, because there, there, there could be any number of ideas, concepts, evenings, whatever. So you could walk up to a concierge and say, I'm with my boss, and I need a place where we're going to talk about business so we can't be too loud. But we really like to have uh, kind of farm-to-table restaurant. We really are kind of foodies. We really like good food, but we don't want it too loud. And we would like that within walking distance. Can you help us with that? Boom. A concierge can say, absolutely, we have. Now, this is the concierge's job is to know what's available and to know their stuff. But if you have a good concierge, they do know that. But now they can actually recommend for you. No, it's great what you're saying. It's, it makes me think of when you go to a restaurant to put in an order. I mean, if a waiter came up and said, what would you like for dinner? And you said, uh, well, what's your favorite thing here? What, what do you like to eat here? And, you know, what's good? And, it, and you just give it to the, the waiter. You're not really going to be getting the dinner that necessarily you want. But if you're very clear and you're like, you know, I can't have any dairy. Um, I want it to be really light. Um, and I want it to be as fresh and wild as possible and organic. Um, and that's, uh, you know, I don't know, it's a small portion because I'm not a big eater then that waiter knows exactly what to point you to on the menu. So it seems really similar. Like the more specific you can be about what your preferences are and your needs, then the service professional can really help you. So it's, it, it does apply to any industry, really. Yeah, yeah it, it actually does. I mean, because, all right, now there's two things with this. One is that being really specific 
sometimes you can't always give the person what they want. Like one of the examples in the book is a guest actually came up to me once and said, I want a restaurant in San Francisco. I want it on the water. I want it to have really fresh seafood, and I want it to have beautiful views, but I don't want there to be any other tourists there. <laughs> well, I can fit most of these criteria. I can get you the reservation, but we cannot hide our restaurants on the water with beautiful views from our tourists, so I can't promise that part. But the rest of it, I'm able to do. So sometimes, the, you know, it could be like a little bit unrealistic. But the reason that this is so hugely important, I remember one time someone, again, this happened to me, and I'm asked, I have to, you have to ask a million questions, which just takes up so much time. And then these, these people I finally are telling me, well, we're here to celebrate a high school graduation, and I have a dozen 17-year-olds uh, with me. I'm like, okay, like, were you going to, like, keep that information from me? Because that's going to depend where I'm going to send you. But, but why are you hiding that very pertinent information? And so if, 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 if we could just lay it out, you don't need to know the name. That's really important. You don't need to know the name. You don't need to know the place. You don't need to do the research. You just need to have the vision. And if you can help a concierge with the vision, then they can help you with the name and the place and make the reservation. Really important information. That's a really good point. And I think, you know, this, in terms of this particular segment, we're talking about how to really show up in the world where you're making very clear requests, you're giving enough data and information so that the person you're making the request of can really satisfy and fulfill you and know that you're going to be satisfied. I mean, that's, that's a big part of customer relating, and I can see where your services would be valuable on a lot of different levels. So, again, this is uh, Wealth Psychology at uh, Sylvia Global Media, and we are interviewing Holly Steele about her new book on how to get the best uh, out of your concierge from A to Z, and we're going to be going in and diving into some of those letters in just a minute. So welcome back. We have Holly Steele here at Wealth Psychology at Sylvia Global Media, and we are discussing really how to make the best of your relationship with a service professional. And we're going to be looking at it through the lens of a concierge relationship. And Holly has a new book. Holly, show us your book again. I want to point out to people how easy it well, – say something so you got pop up here. Okay, yeah, oh, okay, great. All right, great. So there, there, it's actually a little booklet. You can keep it in your purse. You can keep it in your briefcase. And especially these things at the end that, that have – now, that's a great question because they actually have the situations all written out that you might find yourself in, like I'm asking for directions or I'm asking for a reservation or I lost something. And so it tells you, or I want to shift something and it tells you exactly the best way to get the best from the concierge. And I want you to open it up because I love the design that you created where each page is a letter and I, I want to talk about this in terms of using it with family when you're traveling. So can you show it to us? I can. Okay. So, Yay. So there's all each letter as a story too. Yeah, and I love it because what do we use with children? We use alphabet books, right? And I love that we can then bring it to the whole conversation around how to make the most of our travel and engage the children in doing some research and empowering the parents and being effective. And so I'd, I'd love to maybe pull out, um, a, you know, we'll choose E for my name. Let's look at the, the page E and see, like, if a child were going to be reading this, how they might empower their parent or what that would look like in terms of, a trip that inv would involve a family. So what's the, the tip okay. under E? Okay, well, E is great because E is the word enthusiasm. Oh, now, perfect for a kid. 
Okay, so because this is a relationship, so if you have an enthusiastic concierge, that's great. One of the things that, that I did in, in creating this book is I interviewed a lot of concierge, actually around the world, and asked them questions. And this one came up over and over and over again that, okay, one of my questions was, what really turns you on as a concierge and really wants to help you serve people, and what turns you off, and what makes you not inspired? And this one came up all the time because it's like an enthusiastic guest meets an enthusiastic concierge, enthusiastic about where they live, because that's what a concierge is really all about, to promote their cities and their resorts and their really and, and, and to love them and to share this love and to create memories for the guest. So, for instance, if this, this actually was exactly what was said. I, I interviewed someone from Washington, D.C., and she said to me that people come up to her all the time in Washington, D.C., and they just look at her and they go, so um, what's there to do around here? <laughs> no. Seriously? I, I, no, you know, you work in a busy hotel. You're talking to hundreds and hundreds of people a day. You've been doing this for 18 years. And someone says to you, what is there to do around here in a place like Washington? You are not inspired. I have to tell you. You're like, oh, God. You know? And what I, what that person's telling you in that moment is they're not very inspired. They're, you know, who knows what's going on for them in that moment, why they're there, and if that's their mood when they're coming up to the concierge, you know, heaven knows what their trip has been like, and maybe they feel stuck in that city right then. Or so I, I can just imagine how that would have like a kind of a buzzkill for the concierge. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a great word. It's kind of a buzzkill. Now, the idea that we don't know what's going on in someone's trip and all of that, again, I'm going to say that that's the job of the service professional. That That isn't really what I'm talking about so much. What I'm talking about more is do a little bit of research of where you're going. Not a lot. You have to do a lot. You don't have to, you know, like do copious notes. But what you were asking, Emily, is about uh, with the children. So children, you know, they're, you're, you're savvy on a computer. You know how to do it. You're going to, you know, somewhere where there's... Like you're going to Washington, D.C. Of choices. We need to know, what are you interested in? Do you want to go see, um, you know, the the landmark sites? Do you want to see museums? Do you want to go for walks? Do you want, I mean, are you interested in, you know, sort of uh, historical monuments? What is it that appeals to you? Do you just, you know, is it, you know, how old are the children? What kinds of things like that so that you could look and then, then the concierge could put together an itinerary for you. They could get you tickets. But it's like, where do you even begin in something like that, unless you have some information about the people that you're working with. Without it, it's almost like it's so frustrating, and it's almost impossible, and yeah, it's a buzzkill. But if someone comes up and says, oh, we just really love American history, so which places would be the best? Then you could even like take the Smithsonian and break it down and say it's like not just like we want to go to the Smithsonian. Well, Okay, you could spend days just at the Smithsonian. So what is it that interests you? Is it the planes? Is it, you know, what is it? So that then the concierge can really help you. And, and what's, what job. I love about this is um, a lot of times parents um, have a vision of a trip with the family, and then they get there, and then the kids are, oh, we're bored, or they're on their little devices. But if you engage the children before you go on the trip, 
And, you know, you tap into the enthusiasm page or maybe they'll find a different page that they, they, they want to take on. And then they look at, okay, I'm responsible for one of the days of the trip or one of the mornings of the trip. And each of the children, no matter what their age level, you know, I guess they have to be able to read or talk. You know, <laughs> they're two, it might not be as easy. But where they can have a sense of, oh, this is my job. I'm responsible for this one. And then they know they can interface with the concierge before they get there. And they're given that, you know, permission to say, okay, we're really excited. I really want to find out all about the um, the astronauts and the, um, the the airplanes and, you know, how does that work with the aerospace and what what can you help us with? And, and then the concierge gets to help that child with that. Is that possible? Can you connect with the concierge before you get there? Well, I think it's the smartest way to go, actually, is to connect with the concierge before you get there. But actually, I love that idea. I hadn't really even thought about that completely, but that would be really cool. And I think most concierge would really like that, that they would like to interact with the child to create something. Plus, what that does, it's such a twofer, because then my gosh, then the, the child understands how to communicate, how to, how to create something, how to work with a concierge, even knows what one was, that sort of thing. You know, it's funny, like the, the uh, quote on the back of the book from Peter Greenberg, it's about when he was 10 years old and he went to France and his mother said, don't you dare go near that concierge desk. Don't go, don't go. That's going to cost you money. Don't, don't go there. And he never did. And then it took him years to realize what an invaluable service that this is. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. Yeah, so I That's, think, yeah. That is really important. I want to have our next segment really focus on that because we send so many messages to our children that end up making it so they have to work through things. And um, and I also want to talk about the cost. I think that that's a big, important piece that people are, maybe have some confusion about. Mm -hmm. So thank you. This is Holly Steele, our guest at Wealth Legacy Group's Wealth Psychology on Sylvia Global Media. Okay. Yeah, great. Thank you. So welcome back. We're at Wealth Psychology with Emily Bouchard, Managing Partner of Wealth Legacy Group, and we're here with Holly Steele, the author of How to Make, Get the Best Out of Your Concierge from A to Z, a wonderful booklet that is really easy to read, easy to travel with, and we are going to talk about some nuts and bolts in terms of cost and benefit. And I think that there's a, there might be some presumptions around this, and also really what does it look like in terms of um, I'm wondering if maybe tea has something to do with tipping because <laughs> people yeah. don't necessarily know how to interface with concierge around the money piece. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I would love to actually because it's because it's confusing. And I would like to just sort of start, you know, um, I have a great quote in the book that uh, one of the concierge that I interviewed, we, we, we talked about the money piece and we talked about, well, when do you like to get tipped? Do you like to get tipped after you do the service? Do you like to get tipped before you do the service? Do you like to get, you know, tell, you know, talk to me a little bit about it. And so Joanna uh, said something. She said, well, if they give me money before I even do anything for them, uh, she said it's a little bit akin to going on a blind date and having them bringing you lingerie from uh, Victoria's Secrets. It's, um, it, it, it it's putting the cart before the horse. I think that some concierges appreciate, you know, money beforehand. It's it's okay to do that, but quite frankly, it's really about what a tip means. Why it, you know, when it sort of thing started, like to ensure promptness, wasn't that it? And I think that the idea is that when a concierge does things for you, that it's a very nice gesture to tip them. 
it is not necessarily uh, required or expected for routine things. I mean, if a concierge, like if you go up to a concierge and you say, will you print out my boarding pass, it, they just do that. That's a part of their job. And if you would like to give them a few dollars for that, you can, but it's not necessary. But let's say you, you come with your family and the concierge plans your trip for you for three days with your family and shows you things that you didn't know about and really enhances your experience, then that is worthy of a gratuity. And short of anything, saying thank you to a concierge because the, the personality that becomes a concierge the, is, is someone who really appreciates being appreciated. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to sustain doing this kind of work for very long. And most people do it for uh, a lifetime, really, for years and years and years and years and years. And it's something, it's a real profession for the concierge themselves. So to be unappreciated, again, talk about a buzzkill. So if, and a letter to the manager to say that they really did a good job, that's really important. Um, I put some guidelines in the book about $5 for this and $10 for this and $20 for this and $50 or $100. I mean, so I have those sorts of guidelines, but that's all they are. They're just guidelines. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and there's, you know, there have been people who have been pretty obnoxious. Like there was, you know, somebody who took a $100 bill, tore it in half, gave it to a concierge and said, let's see how you do, earn the other half. You know, it's like, okay, they'll work for it because they would like to get it, but it's just, do you really need to behave like that? It just doesn't feel nice. And so, you know, and yeah, then especially I, when the people who go into the concierge business, it's like they just—they're professionally nice. Like that's what they love to do, and to be treated like that is basically saying, "Yeah, I am paying you to be nice to me, and you better do a good job." It's just not—it isn't very nice. No, I mean the thing is, I mean, look, a concierge is a profession, so it's like any profession, like the legal profession or the medical profession. There are people who are stars in this world, and there's people who are mediocre, and there's probably people who aren't that good. So there's all it, it sort of runs the gamut. Where what I've always done in my work, Emily, is to hold it up to the standard of what it truly is, which is an art form, and that the people who do it incredibly well, and there's a lot of them are artists at this. And that's why I call my textbook The Art and Science of the Hotel Concierge because it's an art form to do this really well and to appreciate it is, you know, it's like any artist, performance artist, without the applause, there really wouldn't, uh, it would just be a lot more difficult to continually to go out on that stage. So yeah, that's, that's a good point. And it's, I'm going to bring up the artist side from a little bit of a different perspective that I've noticed recently as a trend um, so I have to travel quite a bit for work, and my clients are really quite generous, and they put us up in um, hotels that they want to go and do their meetings at, and they're, they're very nice, luxurious hotels. And what I'm finding more and more is that the people behind the concierge desk and the reception desk are younger, you know, they're in the industry getting started, and they have tattoos that are visible, and sometimes they have piercings or those interesting discs in their ears. And it's not what my mind would definitely think of in terms of a concierge. Now, if I was going into an Apple store, I would almost look for somebody who looks like that to help me more so than somebody who might look traditionally like a concierge. They're totally in the service industry. So it's a bit of a shift. And generationally, I can imagine there might be a little bit of an impact. And do you have any recommendations for how people might 
um, interface with somebody who's in that kind of role, a service role, that doesn't look like how they expected them to look? I think that's interesting. I All of the hotels that I work with, and pretty much everybody, has grooming standards that include no visible tattoos, certainly no giant ear things. Uh, I'm a little bit surprised that that's what's behind the uh, the concierge. Um, I would actually, I mean, you know, okay, let, let, uh, let me answer your question in two different ways. Number one is, if they're behind the concierge desk, then that is a managerial situation where they feel that that's okay. And therefore, I mean, the thing is, you just interact with them like you interact with someone in a business suit. I mean, they're, uh, you know, people who are holding a professional position. However, when you're holding a professional position, it would seem to me that you need to look professional. And so it's not the Genius Bar, although just FYI, the Genius Bar was totally built around the hotel concierge that they... Yeah, they, exactly. That's that's what I'm... That's yeah. what, and I, I'm thinking that it's, it's, a, it's a trend that it's starting more and more. A lot of... Um, I'm going into more and more restaurants, high-end restaurants, and I'm seeing that with the... Um, the person who meets and greets you right at the front, you know, that's your first interface with the restaurant. It's like, and my mind goes to, wow, this person must be really exceptional. And they have a role where they are the presence of support and service in the restaurant. They're here to take care. And that's who they've chosen to hire. They must really have something on the ball. Um, and One so would it, hope. It piques my interest a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I actually don't know how to 100% answer that question because I don't know what the particular hotel you were at or what their grooming standards are or if they felt that they didn't have an employee pool to choose from that didn't have any visible, that there was nobody who met the criteria that didn't have visible tattoos. Um, I, for the most part today, in 2013, uh, visible tattoos in front of the house positions are pretty much not okay. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, although there's exceptions, you know, and so sometimes when people are exceptional, the managers kind of turn their back and don't, you know, enforce those. Uh, but I think that, you know, I'm not going to be judgmental of them. I, I, I really care a lot more if what their what's going on in their heart than on their, you know, Tattoos, because I, I really want to know whether they're going to take care of me, whether they have a knowledge base, whether they have an interest in uh, making sure that my experience is a stellar one, as opposed to me being judgmental of whether they have visible tattoos or not. And yeah. Uh, so I, I don't really know. I, I, I'm just surprised with the grooming standards because I, I don't think like at high-end hotels like Four Seasons Mandarin, Ritz-Carlton, um, a lot of other high-end resorts who, who I've worked with, uh, they 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 have grooming standards that do not include that. So great. Well, that's really good to know. And yeah, I think that that's something for people to be aware of that they they can't expect a certain standard of um, you know look and feel when they go to these places. So. Yeah. We are at Wealth Psychology at Sylvia Global Media. I'm Emily Bouchard, managing partner of Wealth Legacy Group, and we are interviewing today. Thank you, our guest, Holly Seal, about how to get the most and the best out of your, your relationship with your concierge. So next up, we are going to be talking about more of these tips from A to Z. So welcome back to Wealth Psychology. I'm Emily Bouchard, your host, and we are here with Holly Steele, who is a concierge expert and helps service professionals really be the best they can be and is now supporting people and in interfacing really well with their service professionals. 
So, Holly, which is one of your favorite letters in this little booklet that you've put out that you'd like to cover on this on the time that we have together? Well, actually, I love A because it, I really like the story for A, and I, I like A and I like you a lot. Well, and so, you know, it's, it's funny when you're the author of something, you always go, "Oh, I love that part." I love that part. But anyway, so I, I actually want to tell you the story about A because A says, "Ask me anything." And I think that people don't know that they can really ask a concierge anything, right? I'm not talking about things that are illegal or immoral, but you can ask for all kinds of weird things. So I love this story. This happened to a concierge where a guest comes up to her, it was early in the morning, and she says, Do you, I need to have a black feather. And she says, I need a black feather. I, I, need, a, I need a feather. And um, uh, but I, I need a black feather. So you know the concierge is discreet. She's trying to figure out. Okay, I need a black feather. I need the black feather within 30 minutes. Okay, fine. So she was very clever. She knew where they had a mask stored. So she found this mask that they had stored in the catering department that was like for some New Orleans night or something like that. She pulled a black feather out of the mask. She had the black feather delivered to the guest room right in time. But okay, so she, but then she's like, she's fascinated by this. And she says, I usually don't ask the question, but I called the guest and I said, I'm just curious, why do you need this black feather for this meeting? And she said, well, because I had a big argument with my boss last night and I want to come into the meeting and I want to have the feather sticking out of my mouth so uh, I can say that, that I had eaten crow. Oh, I know. I know, it's a good story. So I loved that because you can ask anything and you just never know and it doesn't you know I have to even just be so weird it's just that that's a memorable story and then another one that I love is you and you is unrealistic expectations so even though we can ask anything okay sometimes there are unrealistic expectations so this is a story about an unrealistic expectation this happened to a concierge at a high-end hotel in Los Angeles in Beverly Hills actually so this, this they had a guest who was Middle Eastern and she was young and uh, she said what is the minimum age to get a driver's license in California Okay, so uh, so the concierge informs her of the minimum age to get a driver's license, and she just says, "Okay, good, get me one." <laughs> <laughs> so some things are you can't do, which leads us to actually how the concierge can't do everything, and sometimes they do have to say no, and sometimes restaurants are sold out at eight o'clock on Valentine's Day without prior reservation. So if you're going, you know, so some things, you know, I've had people say to me, yeah, you know, I thought the concierge could do anything. Well, within reason, they can. Uh, Valentine's Day, 8 o'clock at the most popular restaurant in town? Probably not. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's a, it, again, it's about, okay, being in relationship and taking responsibility for what you can do and how you can move with them most effectively and uh, what would be something that somebody wouldn't necessarily know that they don't know in terms of how to relate with a concierge that would be useful for people? Okay. I, I think that two things. One would be something, again, really simple, kind of like the idea of the restaurant reservation. Another really simple thing is directions. You come up to a concierge, you think, okay, directions. I can get directions anywhere. I can get directions on my iPhone. Yeah, 
But the iPhone doesn't tell you which streets are closed or if they're one way. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that, that can go wrong with that sort of thing. But let's say I'll, I'll use Central Park as an example. So you walk up to a concierge somewhere and you say, how do I get to Central Park? Well, Central Park's a big place. So again, it's the details. I have a concierge friend who calls it, ask a question with a value add. Add something and you can get a value added response. Yes. Say, how do I get to the zoo? in Central Park, as opposed to how do I get to Central Park? Or in San Francisco, how do I get to the tea garden in Golden Gate Park, as opposed to just how do I get to Golden Gate Park? Because if you ask me, as a San Francisco concierge, how do I get to Golden Gate Park, I could give you directions to Golden Gate Park easily. But if you say to me, how do I get to the tea garden in Golden Gate Park, I'm going to have a compute in my head and go, okay, I can get you to the tea garden. I can tell you the hours of the tea garden. I can tell you to go stop at some pagoda that's near the tea garden but not in the tea garden, what's very close to the tea garden, and how much the tickets are, and to tell you that there's a little tea house there, and that would be really nice to go to, too. And you might not know all of those things, but I'm going to tell you all that, or I'm going to give you some scenic walk to get there. But if you don't tell me where you're going, and just ask me for some vague direction, then I might answer your question, but that isn't really going to help you. If you ask a other thing. It brings up the, that Jerry Maguire quote, you know, help me help you. Like, really, like, empower exactly. me to be the best I can do for you, and then I get to really shine. Use exactly. me. Exactly, and everybody wins, and that's exactly what this little booklet is about. And here's another thing, shipping. So that's an S letter, is shipping. And I, okay, so ship, I'm really how matter of fact and not enthusiastic is shipping, I gotta tell you. It's not, this is not the most creative aspect of being a concierge. And it's a very, very important piece, and this is a real relationship piece because so many people just expect to, here, ship this for me, and they're out the door. And I would love for shipping to be as simple as send me this email. But you gotta fill out papers to ship things. And especially overseas. And we need to know. And one of the stories in the book is that, you know, this was a mistake. Some, you know, ship this. And they're out there, you know, how much? And they said $3,000. And the concierge heard $30,000. Because they, they didn't stay around to actually have this relationship. Well, that was a nightmare at customs for this guest. And it wasn't really the fault of the concierge because the guest is running out the door like they said, ship, you know, write me an email. As opposed to, this is a relationship. I need the information. I'm sorry that you have to fill out forms. Boring, yucky. We don't like it either, but we got to do it. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, in the work we do with families, there's a lot in terms of um, how to make requests really effectively. And that's like a drive-by request. And yes. there's so much that's left unsaid in terms of what's mm -hmm. really necessary and, and, again, needed so that whoever is going to be performing that request and, and fulfilling that promise, that other side of the equation, really knows the details and oftentimes people almost get like offended or they'll um that you know, why are you questioning me like can't you just do it and it's like no no i want to know so i can best fulfill what you're asking for yeah. and i think the more people can understand that the better yeah and those yeah. questions in the book do the questions help people with with knowing that oh absolutely absolutely though the letters do. They also help people. You know, I think that today, too, like that the concierge is really there to help you. I mean, a lot of people think, well, because of Google and because of uh, the Internet, we don't need a concierge anymore. But I'm of the absolute opposite 
uh, opinion. I think we need a concierge more today than we did when I was a concierge, you know, before, you know, in the Stone Age. Uh, before the <laughs> and I, because, you know, it's, it's that what you really need a concierge for, we, we call it a, that the concierge is really, uh, when I'm teaching concierges, I tell them that they're the style wizards of information management. And you really need them to manage all the information. It's just too much information, and the concierge needs to actually manage that. Yeah, one of the things that comes up for me really quickly when I hear you say that is with a lot of the travel I do, I love to walk and get to know the places where I am. And I'll often ask the concierge, where are the safest neighborhoods and ways to walk that will give me a really good sense of the city and where I can feel really um, safe as a single woman walking? And mm -hmm. that also I'm not going to be get lost or I'm not going to, you know, walk my shoes off. Like I want to be able to take like a, maybe a five-mile yeah. radius walk and have a really nice sense of the city as a result. Um, and I think that, that that's something you can't get out of a device. That's, that's, that's absolutely correct. And that's, you know, because that's the relationship. And it's like, I'm, you know, I'm telling you what I need. Help me. You know your city. You know your place. And so I think that that's, you know, really, really important important piece and the you know like the the other thing which kind of goes into asking anything the special requests or or that when things are tough today you lost your luggage you don't have to do that all by yourself the concierge will do that for you if you um don't have uh you forgot to pack your shoes ask them or you can't find the plug to your phone ask them they, they just might have one right in their drawer and they could do it for a minute. Or just ask them. Like, you don't have to say, I need a pharmacy. You say, I need a Band-Aid. They'll just go in the drawer and hand you a Band-Aid. You know, like, they they have a lot of that stuff right on hand, but you, you need to actually, again, help them to help you. One of my favorite stories is a, about uh, a guest who had a, uh, a, you know, those snow globes, right? It was an antique snow globe. And it got crushed in their suitcase, and these people were like really horrified. Well, so one one of the things about being a great concierge is that you're never kind of off duty. You're always paying attention and listening and learning. So, uh, so this guest came to the concierge and said that their snow globe was broken, and what could they do? Well, the day before, someone had seen this was in New York, so in New York you can get most everything done. But um, had seen a program about somebody who restores antique snow globes. Ah, I know. It was great. And it was eight, and just had seen it the day before. And so contacted that person, and the snow globe was fixed. And, oh. and I think, you know, so you just never know. So ask. And, you know, again, they can't always do everything. There are some unrealistic things, and they can do a lot. And they love it. They do. They love it. I mean, I'm thinking about, uh, I work in Dallas quite a bit, and, uh, one of the uh, the places where the clients tend to choose a, for us to go is the mansion at Turtle Creek, which is a really lovely place. And I walk in there, and the concierge will uh, acknowledge me by name, welcome me back. I feel like I'm coming to my like my family home. It's so amazing. And they have gone through everything with me. I mean, I I've forgotten a cord for my computer, and they've t totally taken care of that. They, you know, just. I can't even imagine the list of things I've had to ask them for. Or I think I left my pajamas there one time. Like it's really, it's, you can develop a really nice personal relationship, especially when you go back to the same place again and again. And I think the other side is also true, that when you don't know how to interface and really cultivate a healthy relationship with, you know, a service professional or anybody, it's 
you're going to feel it. Like energetically, when you walk in, you're actually they're going to be like, they'll, they'll, they'll welcome you. They might do the same thing, but that mood of, you know, congeniality and familiarity and that what we really crave in terms of human interaction gets lost because it's like, oh, there they are. And I think a lot of people that are tuning into this show, because this is about wealth psychology. This is about the emotional impact of wealth in our lives. Is sometimes what happens is people that have a lot of money feel often a little bit guarded or needing that they're being going to be taken advantage of, and it can come across as they're entitled, but they might have that kind of backup already, like, um, oh, they're just being nice because they want to get a good big tip out of me, and that's kind of the listening that often can happen, and it, it can produce quite a negative uh, impact in terms of how relationships are formed and managed over time, and. You know, how do you support that relationship and building from a place of, oh, this is a trusted relationship. They really do want me to be successful. And it's not so much generated by how much they're going to make off of me. Okay. I think that uh, all relationships, Emily, no matter what, uh, take a little bit of time. I think that you can feel the energy in something. I think that you're example of the mansion at Turtle Creek um, is a great one. I certainly know the concierges at the mansion at Turtle Creek. Uh, Mary Stam has been there for years and years and years. And of oh, course, yeah. She's fabulous. And, and George, who I love, and he retired. I don't know if you knew George. He's fabulous. And uh, those are true professionals. When you have people who have been in their jobs for years, they are true professionals. I think that you can tell, it's funny, one of the things that I have in this book under X is called the X Factor. Uh-huh. And when you have a great concierge, there's an X Factor that you can feel the energy. You, you said so many things in what you just talked about. You talked about energy, which is something that is, is something that you can't quantify, but it's extremely real. So I think that somebody can feel that. You talked about the relationship between a service provider and their client who is in a different economic bracket you t- and how uh, the the dance of that and I think that that is a relationship and there is a friendly but not friends tone that needs to really be understood and any real professional gets that and that you know, I, I can't guarantee or promise that there aren't some people who just do the job because you're going to get a tip from someone. I don't know that that's not the case. Sometimes it probably is the case. And I think that um, with everything, to, to be guarded and closed cuts you off from having a uh, trusted relationship. But trusted relationships require trust. And trust is not an instant uh, thing that 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 can just be uh, purchased with a fifty dollar tip. Uh, trust is something that is built over time, and especially is what and, and loyalty. And so, if you stay at the same hotels, you'll have a relationship that is different than if you're just visiting a resort or a hotel one time. But but be clear that it it is always a give and take relationship. So yeah. if if you come with uh, an open mind and uh, a belief that this person truly is there to serve you and that you are willing to pay for this service, that's okay, you know, but you need to get it first. You don't pay in advance, you get it first. And that you can um, approach it in a way that is respectful 
on both sides. So when you say that it may come off as entitled, well, that's fine. You are entitled to quality service because you are a guest in that property. But you may not inspire the concierge to call their trusted contact to get you that one table or to get you that one ticket because they can't get 35 tickets. They can get one. And they're going to make a decision. Or maybe they can, maybe they can't, but if they can, they're going to make a decision. Am I giving that one to you? Because you're not treating me very nice. I'm not giving you that. Right? But you, wow, I really have a relationship with you, and I would really like to help you. They're not. I'm not saying that they're saying, I'll help you, I won't help you. But there is no, a but they have to. They have to make choices, too. And I think what you're pointing to is something so important and vital in human relationships in general. And that when we come at it with presumption and we feel like we can just treat anybody the way we want to, it can have a cost in terms of how, what actually gets to show up in our lives. This is great. So if we could just take a moment to take a little station identification, I want to finish up with, you know, really some some things that uh, people can understand in terms of how to best interface with their concierge, with any service professional that really brings out the best in both people. So we're tuning into Wealth Psychology at Sylvia Global Media. I'm Emily Bouchard, your host. Uh, Jamie is hopefully going to be back soon. And we are delighted to have Holly Steele uh, who's a world-class concierge trainer and professional. Thank you. Yeah. So welcome back to Wealth Psychology at Sylvia Global Media. We are here with Holly Steele, author of How to Get the Best Out of Your Concierge from A to Z, and also a textbook for concierge and other service professionals on how to really take the art of uh, service to a whole other level, that X factor that we were talking about earlier. Uh, so could you say a little bit about how you cultivate that X factor, that sense of, wow, we are really simpatico in terms of we can work together very effectively. And what have you seen that's worked in terms of the training that you've done with professionals that seems to make the biggest difference? And then we'll talk a little bit about how people can interact with them. Okay, great. Thank you so much, because this is such a topic that's really close to my heart. And I think that well, what we all need to understand, and you alluded to it earlier when you said we, that all people really need is to feel good about who they are. You're talking, it was, it, it, it was something like that. And what, what I think that we all want is to be seen. We want to be seen. We want to be understood. We want to be respected. We want to know that, that we're okay and that we're doing a good job. I mean, so I, I actually heard Oprah talking about something the other day. It was, I'm a little bit off this topic for a second, but I'm going to get back to it because it's really interesting. Oprah was talking about that, that people want this so much that it doesn't matter who we are. That after she interviewed Beyonce, and so there's Beyonce and all her Beyonce fabulousness, and she turns to Oprah at a station break and she says, did I do okay? Was I okay? And I think that what we all want to know is that we're seen, that we're heard, that we're understood, that we're okay. Whether you have, you know, $50 million in the bank or you're a service provider at the deli, that everybody wants that. And when we can come to a situation from both sides of that, that I'm going to come to you respecting you as, an, as a professional person who is doing their job, and I'm going to see you that way so that I'm not talking to you while I am on my cell phone and, you know, have my nose up in the air and 
clicking my fingers at you and saying, just do this for me, right? But I'm going to look at you and I'm going to see a person there who comes to work every day who's a professional person who would like to do a good job because i got to tell you, Emily, nobody comes to work in the morning and goes, whoa, I really want to piss somebody off today. They don't do that. They come to work, they would like to do a good job. And when we have people who help us to do that by saying, okay, I mean, it's not, you know, welcome, you know, hello, I see you. But it's like, I am respecting you. So I'm going to come up to you, I'm going to put my cell phone down. I'm going to ask you a question that has some value-added information. I'm going to not make you have to work so hard to find out what I want. I'm going to tell you what I would like to have. I'm going to be clear, ask for what you want, get what you want. Okay, by respecting someone else, and, and even when even when there's urgency, even when there's a pressure on it, and you're feeling it, you know, it's kind of that pay it forward thing. If you treat somebody with, yeah, this is serious, this needs to happen, and I know we can work together to do this, you're going to probably have much uh, more likelihood of uh, results that you want, and in a way that's really satisfying, not just in terms of okay, that was done, but oh, how that was handled really made a difference for me. Absolutely, and and it's you know and it's you know all we have is this moment and this moment and this moment and this moment and together all of those moments create your experience, and so your moments that you have and they're only moments that we're talking about the concierge today, but with any service provider, it's just moments that you know a few moments, but those moments are a relationship, and if you continue to go back to that place, you have many moments strung together that then create a trusted relationship, but in those beginning moments. It's like, hi, smile, hi, I'm Holly, Emily, I see, I, I can see your name tag, Emily, I'm looking to do blah, 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 can you help me with that? Yeah, not, what's there to do around here, what do I do tonight, I need a good restaurant, get that for me, mail this. You know, it's like, hello, We're, if we want to have a transaction, then the internet can replace a concierge. If we want to have a transaction, robots can do service jobs. If we want to have a relationship, we need to have human beings. And we need to have one human being with another human being that are connected and respectful of each other. And then amazing memories can occur. Oh, that's so well said. And I just keep thinking about how that applies to the families that we work with and their family businesses and how we treat each other in our relationships and how oftentimes money gets in the way and there's a sense of this power differential that can happen in our families. And um, because I said so, it's so often the default and it just, it takes nothing. It takes no added energy to add in a Point of gratitude, and I love the name of your company. I mean, and I love I love your voicemail too. Like your your what is it? Four favorite words. The yeah, thank you very much. If we could live in a world, that's what I tell any business, any business owner, any people who work in a business. It doesn't matter what business are you in. My business cards say, "What business are you in?" And you open them up, and it says, "If you're not in the thank you business, you're probably not in business." It's so. It's really about that we're we're in the thank you business. It doesn't matter what business that you're in. And the concierge, of course, represents the ultimate in the thank you business because that's the reason that they're there. Well, this has been just one of my most favorite interviews. This is so great. And thank you very much for doing what you can to further this for people and how they relate with their service professionals and maybe with each other. And, you know, nobody... 
has to really ever do anything for us, really. And to just recognize that just saying thank you when something's been completed that you've asked for makes all the difference. I don't care if it's with your kids, with your spouse, with your parents, or with your service professional. Um, I miss going through the uh, the toll booth on the Golden Gate Bridge now because there's nobody there to say thank you to anymore because they've made it all professional, you know, the, the machines. And I think you're right on. It's, what matters most is that eye contact, that engagement, and that being seen and knowing that you matter. So thank you, Holly Steele. Can you show us your book one more time? Sure. Yeah, and thank you so much. And just go to thank you.